Lauren Bond and the Metabolic Studio offers the Explorers Club to share meaningful journeys, encounters, and projects in an intimate setting at the Metabolic Studio. Session 23, August 18, 2016, features artist curator Dominique Elnaya from Amsterdam. Discussing the body of work of Leslie Labowitz Saris, which is based on Jewish identity and feminist activism. Let's tune in, connect, and listen. I'd like to start by welcoming everyone and by being grateful to be here. I'm very blessed to be in your presence. Um, well, as I was just introduced, Dominique Almeida. I'm from Amsterdam, and I'm a curator and an artist. Louder? Okay. I'll talk louder. Okay, um, here's why I visited um, LA, is because of its vibrant cultural position right now. I used to go to New York, but I felt when I came to LA that things were moving and shifting. And since we're in a global, interconnected, interdependent world, I was going to do my research here. And I quickly met with a uh, Jewish-American artist named Leslie Labovitz Starris who closely worked with Susan Lacey, also a very well-known feminist activist artist. But my focus was on her because I have a Jewish and a black heritage in my bloodline. So we came to talk and I found that her work transcended where I was actually looking for. She transcended her heritage as a Holocaust survivor and she was also very active as a feminist radical artist. So she combined the theory and the thinking and created Sprout Time, which I will go into later. Uh, she created that as a transcending ritual, ongoing performance piece, where she would incorporate all kinds of growing materials and kind of getting past the heritage of being the child of a Holocaust survivor, which to me was a point of research later on. But first of all, let me start by um, telling a little bit about myself. I'm a curator and an artist active in the Netherlands. I've worked with several artists you might be familiar with. The South African artist Sanelli Moholi, who is addressing the problem of corrective rape in South Africa. She's done a documentary portrayal, photography of the lives of queer lesbians and femme men and the aggressions that have led to their death most often and now has uh, created a space where these people can be safe and can be acknowledged and their cases can be prosecuted. Uh, her work is acknowledged by many prizes worldwide. She's, I'll show her a little bit of her work. I've also worked with Sir Baron Waxman. Maybe you've heard of him. He's a trans man, and he addresses uh, the gender positions in, within the Jewish heritage, and he's also a performance artist. Um, these two are mostly towards the, the, the conflictuous, radical pieces of art. I've also worked with other artists, more of who are actually addressing uh, the environmental situation we're living in currently. A, a light artist called Ticha X, she's also very renowned for her light pieces that influence our feelings of safety and our feelings of place within space. So those are kind of artists that I've worked with. And right now, I'm going to prepare a tour with Leslie about her work and trying to connect her with African artists who do the same thing about diaspora, displacement, and um, the whole common ground I'm trying to find. Uh, a piece that I did during the Venice Biennale, I reenacted the life of Billie Holiday, and I sort of took her as an example of how 
her rise to fame and her position within this white culture that was appropriating her and the way she, her demise and the way she actually was, um, her whole situation turned around. She was arrested and she actually uh, died in a very terrible way. Um, I'll show you my image that I wanted to show, hope it still works. This is the work of Zanelle. This is a reenactment of uh, one of the murders, one of her friends. And what happened is that she went to the crime scene. She was not allowed to, she went there and she reenacted it in a different position. And this image was frowned upon by her own uh, uh, government. But one government official who called her was vulgar and did not, and was un-South African. But from there on she pushed on and she's creating a large following with young, uh, queer and uh, gay people that are, you know, documenting and archiving their lives. And that's the form of her, act her activism is taking now. Okay, what I'm thinking also, like the, the position that she's trying to look at is that what is missing from our experiences by not being documented, by being invisible, as being non-recognized um, as valuable members of community. So she, by portraying people, by coming together by community work, she's creating this empowerment to come out of the rage, to come out of the mourning, and to come out of this self-destructing, um, yeah, what you can, the internalization of homophobia is a very strong element, of course. So her strategies and the way she's going about it, for instance, you can see a lot of her pictures over here, is actually also informing that you can have these scars and you can have this heritage, and at the same time, start building a new reality together with the people, the descendants of who you might call your aggressors. Because way back, I'm going to roll back a little bit. From my own background, I'm from a, a country called Suriname, which is my father's country. And the descendants of the aggressors are related now to the descendants of the victims. And the dictatorship that is still in charge in Suriname is trying to escape the, the, the law and they have killed many uh, government officials in the December killings in the 80s. But we're now in a situation where the descendants of both parties are actually further down the line, contributing to each other's lives and building bridges. And of course, the due justice has to be served, but the community has already found a way to deal with the heritage of that and to acknowledge each other's guilt and innocence and scars and incorporate that. And I think that community work allows for a different perspective from that common ground, not to disacknowledge, but to acknowledge and to transform it into a new strategy. So what she's doing here in South Africa, being an ex-colony of the Netherlands where I'm from, is a similar dialectic. And she's, of course, addressing the scars, but she's focusing and celebrating the lives of these people. And that's why we worked on her book. She worked for this series, Faces and Faces, for between 2006 and 2014. And it actually came full circle. And now she's just doing self-portraits, and so she's like trying to transform the way she acts with the whole um, radicalization. She's now going to, to more of an inward process, an identity pieces. As I just addressed gender identity and as I was writing emails to my people over here, I was also pointing at the fact that there is now what I call culture war going on between all kinds of, you're probably very much aware of it, but very hard to decipher what is, what is 
a valuable position on how to address it because all of your heritages might include um, colored, black, Latino, Jewish uh, descendants. But now on, it's, it's focused on how women and how gender and identity are um, expressed. And that's policing what's going on and also judgmental uh, in public space can lead up to violence, can lead up to uh, the justification of rape, justification of violence, justification of mistreatment and uh, the disrespect for human uh, rights. And what I'm thinking is that the whole process of that needs addressing in a way that artists have been doing. And I don't say that artists always have to address that, but the strategies that I can see that Zanella is uh, working on and what Leslie is working on are strategies that are taking those elements and taking all the scars and taking all those um, positions and working with it in a different way. So let's try and go any further, let's see if it will work. Okay. Right now in Europe, the, the refugee crisis is a big topic and it polarizes everyone and it even took, it's got as far as to go say that what happened in Britain with the Brexit has to do with the German petition on the refugees which is a very sad thing, considering that uh, the Netherlands, the Northern Europe countries were always very hospitable towards people, of course, rich refugees, the rich Jews, and other rich Spanish, uh, uh, what we call heretics, they came also to North Europe and they were all re welcome because they brought a lot of money. But right now we see people from, yeah, Christ situations coming to Northern Europe, and the whole debate is again incited by the popular mainstream media. What I believe is that lots of artists have a very strong voice and they use the techniques of the mainstream media in social media and they are actually influencing the whole debate in a different manner, which is to me a very exciting development. And I could see that happening over Twitter and it takes on to popular pop artists like Lady Gaga and Beyonce to even make firm stands to those who are not really um, instigating in this whole debate. So for me, that's a very positive sign I can see from every perspective that was going on with Black Lives Matter, of course it's a lot of anger, it's a lot of rage, but at one point we'll see people are yearning for connection, are yearning for healing. And those things can follow up later in the story by, first of all, being able to express it and to have like what we call Black Twitter, um, have a podium and have the way into the people's hearts and the way into what we call white privilege. And I'm thinking, how far should we go ahead by deconstructing white privilege because it's becoming more and more a burden to people to not be able to say, look, um, we understand where you're coming from. Because we say, oh, you have white privilege, so you're not allowed to, to know what people are coming from. But I'm thinking, as everyone sitting in this room, that every family in this history has scars, has trauma to, to work with. And in that respect, we should actually honor that common ground. Again, um, let me say, it's going for the rest. It's still going backwards. Okay, the culture was I just said, and then here we are where I try to work in the Netherlands and I'm trying to work in Brussels where I did a piece during the European um, presidency by the Netherlands. We call social practice. What we did is go into communities in Amsterdam and in Brussels and especially on live together where there's lots of tension. And we go into those communities and ask them what they need and wanted. And by addressing that, lots of um, new ways of looking at the way they were living started to happen. So about, about from all, you know, they, they felt isolated, they felt 
disenfranchised, they felt they couldn't get work, they couldn't get a proper education, and healthcare was also a problem. All these practical matters, but then also not feeling part of the society, that was a big issue. So, uh, during a program which was called um, Europe by People, I'm going to open it now, which was actually looking at all these um, ways of changing the way we live in an urban context, and I'm making a big jump right now, but what we tried to do is to analyze what was going on in these areas. We worked with a multitude of teams, artists, legislation makers, um, architects, social workers from all ranges, and especially looking at what was necessary, what was lacking. So, of course, we didn't have all the answers, but we made all the research visible on this website, and the European Union is actually now implementing a lot of what was actually found during those research months. Um, there's also a still a, a very nice link over in Amsterdam, where we also have a metabolic studio where we educate people on pra social practices and on how to actually reclaim your own living area, reclaim your own street, reclaim your own building, and make it into a green so society and to also explore what we call new democracy, the democracy of the local, the democracy of the, the common, the commons actually. So I'm trying to find this other spot. Uh, this is like lovely social project with students. I had four students where I worked with, and we were actually talking to the community, um, getting these stories registered on YouTube, dinners where people were all coming together from different walks of life, expressing their stories, and getting excited in the community, starting from where everybody was coming from. Actually, it sounds really simple, but it, was, it took us like, months to get that going. And there was, of course, a lot of hesitation, a lot of, uh, you know, this is uh, what we call is like um, excluding the aliens, because, of course, they might interfere with our own interests. Okay, so what we say, like, turning the violence around, turning it actually inward and then outward again. So we're trying to create, um, I'm going backwards, sorry, spaces where that is possible. Yeah, I just said uh, earlier, I mentioned something about hypercollectivity, which is often going right against what we're actually trying to find. Connection interferes with hypercollectivity. Um, a true connection is without devices, is without, of course, all the technology. Technology enhances it, but sometimes blocks it. it um, we, we found that people were actually left out, those were, who were not uh, digitally literate, so to speak, so the elderly communities and people who were uh, from uh, communities who were way outside of uh, this circle. And yeah, the interdependence that we found um, it was kind of breaking through the isolation, what, was, what we found in all these areas where people recently moved in. And we were trying to create a new engagement by making people more vulnerable, the vulnerable people more uh, responsible for the environment. So to speak, say to them, like, okay, how can we treat our common garden? How can we treat our common energy uh, uh, production? So we placed uh, solar cells on the roofs, and communal gardens were made, and food was being shared, and that started to become um, what we call a relational art piece. Okay, I've never heard of course, but trying to get to the next. Okay, so we went into all these, com all these communities, as I said. Um, that's how it all started. And we needed spaces, so we, we were looking at, you know, like um, 
abandoned buildings, so there we created studios and workplaces and workshops, very low threshold, to meet the people and to find out what, you know, what we could do together. So this cool collaboration to solve kind of practical problems, but also break isolation and mistrust among communities. And then we created what we called a bar engagement that people were actually asking for certain, you know, they might need something for their garden or their bike, or they were, they needed assistance of some, some sort, and we could connect them by people who had these skills. So that's kind of how we work, creating a direct impact. And especially what actually came out of the whole year by people program was that um, people were actually pleasantly surprised, and they came out of their shells and started started change their stories. And um, to me, that's not specifically an artist approach, but the artists were very active and very aware that they had um, a space, what I call common ground, they called it um, their practice, social practice art that they did, and it all became uh, very mediatized. And at one point, we delivered the whole research by the 400 students to the European Union, and which is very interesting. You could feel them shiver because we've seen how Brexit um, actually crash is crashing the whole concept of the EU. But our city makers approach is actually something that they want to they want to fund and promote throughout all of Europe. So we are happy that that's going to happen. And uh, this is the project I've been involved with for around a year right now. And we see in the areas where we've worked that new initiatives are blooming. And I think that's a way to out of the whole polarization what is going on right now and to me that's I want to conclude my talk and if there's any questions I'd like to answer them right now if anyone wants to ask me anything about this uh, I was also going to show work by African artists that I've worked with for uh, nearly 10 years she's actually archiving all these people and she's actually teaching them to use the photographs and they're, they're even creating beauty paintings uh, before they were actually you know, hidden and, and trying to go about their lives as anonymous as possible, but now they're beauty paintings and photography shows worldwide, so, you know, it's, uh, it's a whole different situation. This art gallery is Stevenson Art Gallery in uh, Johannesburg. That's just her art gallery. She's been shown all over the world, and she's won many, many prizes and awards for her work. Um, yes? Yes, of course, yes. Um, if I've got some of her things here. No, I have these other two. Is it a little bit louder? Okay, again. Okay, well, about what I'm going to do with Leslie Labovitz, uh, since she was a very active member of the Women's Building and of Ariadne, her big project she did with a number of artists, among whom are, are Judy Chicago and Suzanne Lacey, uh, what I see in her work is that she did these radical feminist strategies of her work, like performances about race, about violence against women and about how to deal with the aftermath and the myth of rape and all forms of violence against women. She also addresses incest and intimate domestic violence. She works through the accounts of rape, accounts of violence of these women, and she transformed that in performance art and in um, uh, installation art. And one of these uh, artworks uh, talks about how children were affected by incest and uh, domestic violence. And at that point, she had a difficulty going onward with work because she realized that there were things unsolved within her own uh, situation, being a child of a Holocaust survivor. So what she did was um, 
going through that experience, going into therapy for years, and trying to analyze and deconstruct what was going on. At first, she was hesitant, of course, but she found out that there was no other way. So at one point, she created um, a work, Sprout Time, where she invited every one of her people to join, also from the women's building. And they were all joining her, and she created this beautiful table with all the food that she herself had learned to um, grow. And she also created in her garage a space, which is very dark, with sound, where she wanted everybody to pass through. That being uh, the, the manifestation of her experience as a child of a Holocaust survivor, when nothing is discussed, where trauma is being kept in the dark. And that work was a key work to disclose whatever was going on afterwards. So her Sprout Time piece has also led to new works that are linked to that but it's actually informing the way she was dealing with her own healing and how to express that part of her life in a positive and, yeah, how you call this, uh, transforming, transforming way. So what I'm trying to do right now with the other museums is to connect her work to African artists, to artists of mixed descent who are living within the European construct. And there's uh, many museums in Netherlands that have already done that because they're really looking at their colonization as an element that's also part of the the way museums looked at world art. Uh, they judged primitive art and a lot of discussion going on, but now they're actually finally ready to embrace contemporary African art and art from the centuries before us as art that is actually not from, that, from an external source. So combining that and thinking that the Jewish way of analyzing and uh, being able to question everything and reframing it all the time, which is actually the basis of the Judeo-Christian tradition, I'm thinking her work could be a key to a, for a whole array of young artists who are dealing with the same topics right now concerning Black Lives Matters or um, the thing that happened with the Palestinians and a group of Jews that I work with called A Different Jewish Sound who are actually condemning what's going on in Gaza and in all these uh, conflict areas. So these artists are actually dealing right now with what's going on and Leslie already dealt with it way back then and she's still dealing with it. So. For me, bringing her into that space is a very exciting moment. And I'm also thinking that it will actually um, reflect onto each other and will create meaningful alliances. I think that's where we're all heading for, new meaningful alliances, like I'm having with you right today. So if there's any other question I'd like to answer, or I can have some dinner, I don't know, or lunch. <laughs> no, no, but I, I wanted to eat afterwards, yes. Yeah. Don't worry about it, it's okay. Okay, well, actually, I'd like to conclude with this. I will be sitting here to answer any of your questions because it's, some, it's a big practical uh, way also to find ways to, to be able to engage with all these different spaces. But somehow it all falls together and it also informs my own history. I am from these different backgrounds and I certainly uh, feel very empowered by doing this. So that's actually where I'm going to conclude with. And I'm looking forward to lunch. Do you want to ask a question? Yes, I just thought it was so interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Well, could you elaborate, for instance, a little bit more about your own situation? As you know, I'm curious why you asked this question.
It's all, it's all performativity, that's what I wanted to say. Yes. And then there's assumptions that we make from the outside. Yes. We always encoded realities, and we deal with that on a daily basis, but we are mostly not aware of them. And especially when we're looking also into masculinity and femininity as a whole performativity construct, meaning that from what culture you're from, there's a different code for a man to behave or a woman to behave, which is actually a battlefield right now. What I also call part of the culture wars. Uh, you with your beard, for instance, if you'd walk into an airport, you'd be look, you know, especially right now, um, also, from you know, all kinds of uh, they'll be asking around like, okay, if you if you would go into a gay club, they would look at you kind of strange. I mean, all these assumptions and expectations all come into play as you're raised as being a man, a woman, or a non-binary person, or a transgender person. You're not really raised, but you're actually so impregnated with all the imagery around you that somehow it all falls into place because you feel denied or acknowledged when you act a certain way. So you, a, part of what drives you inside of, to express that is how you deal with all these influences and how that forms you. And also, your, of course, your upbringing has part of it. But some people, they turn their back on that and they reinvent themselves. And they will face a lot of stigma. But at the same time, um, they have no other way because they, they have to live in a space where they feel that they can be themselves. But I also think, like, my sister, for instance, I'm from a very strange background. My sister, she's from another mother, and her mother's Indonesian. And she doesn't consider herself as being Latin American, like my father is from Suriname. But she doesn't even consider herself being colored. But she's being treated like that. They always ask her where she's from. They ask me where she's from, where I'm from. And I'm, like, always having to explain that I'm Dutch and born in the Netherlands. Never lived for a long time in one place, but still. That is actually going on in the Netherlands right now, where they are actually not acknowledging their whole colonial responsibility towards slavery, towards all these people that they call import people. They call all the people from Indonesia where they've really, um, how do you call it, exploited for 400 years, Suriname for 500 years. It is incredible that they are still benefiting from having all the riches that they've plundered and They've even, you know, they were the largest trade, slave trader um, power in the world for, and for the longest time. But they're still in a denial about that. So they'll treat anyone who's looking a bit strange or with a little beard. They treat, oh, where are you from and what are you? And this is a very strange thing that's going on. But actually allowing us to really dig deeper right now because it's so poignant. It's so visible right now. You told us the media are going really haywire with it. And that actually good and bad. So it allows us to research, it allows us to be having a stage and a space, and it will move forward because we have all these studies. I'm going to bring Leslie in, and there's so many other artists and, and 
curators are in the same mindset trying to deconstruct and to move forward with it, what, with informing in a different way. And we see that these, these images can have a very lasting effect, can have a lasting impact. Even through popular culture, that's the channel where it eventually ends up. And I'm thinking also that, you know, we're in a future right now, but we're going to have ways of strategizing around this current debate, which is so heated and so negative and so violent. Definitely. And of course, especially as the Spanish people are very much under the pressure right now, I can understand that your grandmother was blending in, trying to move forward, and that in the end, that has costed her own identity for a large part, I'm thinking, but which would very difficult if you're from um, a culture that, you know, if you're black or if you're uh, Asian looking, that you always have to deal with expectations to probably talk Chinese and no English, for instance, or you're always eating, probably eating uh, Asian food, which is, you know, all these expectations again, but we are getting there slowly by all the contributions of all the people that are presently expressing themselves. And that's what I'm very happy to actually debunk the whole um, polarization that's going on. We have to sort of find our way into reuniting again. Um, maybe acknowledging scars, and maybe your grandmother had to suffer not being able to express herself. And maybe that's why you maybe in a later period in your life will go on looking for your identity as a Puerto Rican descendant, which has a cultural value in your life. When you have children, I don't know whether you have children. But might happen then they will ask about grandmother. You, know. you might be researching that, which happens to a lot of people. I mean, so. Well, thank you very much for your attention. And uh, oh, there's a question. Oh, excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see. Yes. Yes. And so there's a, I, I've noticed that right now it's like a big ball of a lot of stuff happening and everything is chaotic. And I know things before things before things actually start happening, stuff becomes chaotic. But I just I wanted to ask if those stuff was um, if those stuff were gonna get explored or if we're exactly Could you elaborate a bit more? Because I always want to know where you come from okay. by asking this question. So the the reason why I asked this question is because this is something that I've been coming um, not, a, not to a conclusion, but something that I've been learning for a while, and it's because um, I came from my dad um, coming from Mexico, living a, a horrible life in Mexico as a child, and then also coming here and being told that you can't talk Spanish, and then, you know, the whole, uh, and then he had to become Americanized, and then he grew into a life where I think the American, what, um, I guess, uh, like an American white um, lifestyle, he was, I think that was romanticized and he enjoyed it, so he embraced it. And I grew up with the same likes because of my dad, and I looked up to my dad. And then further along the line, through um, seeing, um, seeing uh, what is it, the movements that the black people had, I then later on I started realizing that we had a struggle and we had a thing. And then, so I'm Mexican, and from my my mom's eyes and culturally, if I were to go through the lineage and how culture would pass down, I'd be Purepecha. So I'm Purepecha, and I, that's what I always say, I'm Purepecha. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, 
thing that you're talking about, that the, the whole shifting of um, exchanging places all the time. If I would go to Suriname, they'll treat me like I'm a Dutchie. Well, in the Dutch, they'll ask me, oh, you're from Suriname or you're Indonesian? You know, this happens with you as well, but I think this is a transitional time, so you should actually take all these elements and if you keep your eye on the gold, which is the middle ground, where everybody has descendants from way, you know, if you go into your DNA, generations before, so if that will sink in with more people, and that's why the debate is so chaotic, everybody's coming up with, yay, I'm from an Eskimo, blah, blah, blah. You know, everything is coming to the forefront, which I believe past, the past, as we call it, is always informing our future. So it's never there, like, okay, we're now in this moment and everything be before us is before us. Now we are dealing with whatever is our heritage all the time. So looking at all these gender transitions, identity transitions, you're always dealing with what's been left behind, negative and positive, and you always have to make your best choices, which is, I think, in your specific case, you, fo you focus on what in my identity would benefit from really exploring my background and enjoying and sharing it. Maybe to your children, maybe to your surroundings. Um, that will, it will heal you in some part. Some part down the, uh, before you in the line, people will, you know, they lost something. They didn't embrace the full aspect of their being, which is to me, you don't have to always wear your, you know, sombrero, whatever it is you wear, but just explore it and embrace it and share it like an extra part of yourself will feel full circle. I think that is where it's all about. As you start being full circle yourself, you'll share that and it becomes like this wave and snowball you try to create. So, I have a question Okay. There you go. He wanted to really impress upon me that although his tradition, including his healing tradition, had been actively repressed for more than 200 years, um, it wasn't the same as being extinguished. And that it still lingered. His position as a healer was to hold healing circles no matter what, no matter where, um, but also to understand the posture of waiting because he felt that his culture, the Lakota uh, culture, was in a position to re-inherit the landscape when the dominant culture <coughs> kills itself out. So he felt that culture had to put on a, almost a performance of silence in order to activate this posture of waiting. So I think that sometimes when we say things are silent, we put a negative spin on it as if it's been extinguished. Mm -hmm. And I think they're really different. Exactly. And I got that from him. Yeah. So I just wanted to share that. But it's also a lot to share without verbalization. And a lot to share, but just you know, being in the presence of what you find is your heritage. Just being in the presence of it and fully embrace it for yourself. 
there, that's where I start. That's the point where I start. Not yet having your identity, whether it's a, a gender and ethnic identity being addressed by others and you conform to that. No, you just have your own points of, you know, identity and focus points that are important to you, present with your own experience. So exactly, thank you for you know, sharing that. And I also think those stories will, you know. No, I just wanted to add something. No, it's because some, it's, it's someone, it's a doctor that was presented to me, and I mm -hmm. think it's really, um, it's, it's, it's very involved with this because down the line, um, what we want to do is the best thing in, 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 in all. Um, his name is Gabriel Mate, and um, I don't know if you guys heard of him, mm -hmm. but he's a really good doctor, and I would recommend for this, um, if you guys get a chance to look at him. Um, he talks about all this stuff about also the internal stuff that we all have as the traumas and everything that were passed down and the stuff that we have and it talks about also identity and um, speaking up on things that that we have been doing or intentionally doing or unintentionally doing so i don't know i just wanted to bring that because i'm very open if you share that on you know send it to me because i'm thinking also that I'm coming from South America. My relatives are Sunanese, but they have a lot of ancestors who are, as they call it, native Indians there. And uh, I've even met with them alongside a river. And I spent a month there, which is to me very horrible because we've got all these insects everywhere and snakes. But I stayed with them, and they were all expressing about their lives and how their stories were handed down. And also about what they were, they were working as lumberjacks and their business was being threatened because the Brazilians are very, you know, versatile and have wit way better systems. But they told them, like, that each tree has a soul. They had to take care of the tree that they were taking down. And also, their, their method, the way to preserve the tree is to preserve the soul of the tree. And there were way more stories that I can't all allude in here, but they were calling the, the trees the voices of the river. So the river took all those trees to where they're being sold to companies. And there were even very young people who were not going to the cities to work, but they were stay there because they were thinking, I don't want to leave my souls behind of where I'm part of. And they were even, you know, putting that onto their children. So it's like they were descendants of runaway slaves and Indians who became really close and working together. So it was a very strange community where my relatives' ancestors all came from. And uh, I had a translator because I can't speak their language. But actually, what you were pointing out, there was a lot of spiritual practice that I really didn't get too deep into because only a month is very short. But it's actually where I reconnected with that, those roots and ancestors. So for me, that's a very important moment in my life. And I think it's like initiation or something. You could give it your own, you know. Nobody, it's not like you're obliged to do it, but it's, a, it's part of your journey. And you can choose to do it. And it should always be a choice. And also for artists, if they are willing to explore social practice or just make beautiful sculptures which have nothing to do with it, as long as, you know, you have a choice and a toolbox to do it. You know? So you're free to do that. Um, thank you for your uh, contribution, and thanks everyone for being so patient and uh, listening. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the latest Explorers Club session. For more information, please visit metabolicstudio.org. And thank you.